want to take up our Bibles at this time and turn to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. We're going through the book of Matthew in our series on the book of Matthew, and oftentimes we'll read a parallel passage, that is, another passage in the Gospels that records the same event from another inspired perspective. And we want to read from Matthew 15 and Mark chapter 7, which record Jesus going uh, across the Jordan on the other side of Galilee and healing among the Gentiles there. Let's read from Mark chapter 7 first, Mark chapter 7 and 31 through 37, Mark 7, 31 through 37, recording again Jesus in his ministry ongoing. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, that would have been to the north of of Israel proper, along the coast of the Mediterranean. He, that is Jesus, came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. God explained this. Decapolis is a region of ten cities, so named Decapolis, ten cities. And there were mostly Gentiles on that other side of the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee on the east. So this is significant. Then they brought to him, to Jesus, one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephphathah. And that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. As far we read in Mark 7, and you might want to keep your finger there, put a little paper clip there, Matthew 15 is the uh, passages, the passage we'll read now, just verses 29 through 31. And Jesus departed from there, and again, this is the same um, place he's departing from, it's around the regions of Tyre and Sidon, and he's just healed a woman's daughter of a demon. He departed from there, Jesus did, and skirted the Sea of Galilee, again on the east side. And here we're told he went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That's as far as we'll read from both Matthew and from Mark. May God bless the reading of his holy word to our listening now, this word declared. Recall the setting, beloved. There, Jesus had done a, a remarkable, almost unthinkable thing, and that is we, we learned last week that he went just to the edge of the earth, meaning he went to the edge of the nation of Israel, which to them was to the edge of the earth. And so he was healing at the edge of the earth, at the end of the kingdom of heaven on the earth, among the Gentiles. 
And this is striking because Jesus, as he will say to this woman where he goes, he is sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and not to the Gentiles, though he will heal some here and there. Not at this point. Jesus in his flesh and the disciples also who follow him before the resurrection and before Pentecost are focused on ministry and the salvation of the Israelites. But Jesus goes there, and though he most likely does not step into the region of Tyre and Siren at the, uh, aside, and at this point, he comes so close that a woman finds out about him. She's a woman, a Syrophoenician woman, Mark says, or a woman of Canaan, Matthew says, and came to him from the regions of the Gentiles. And Jesus had tried to hide himself. He was in a, in a house, we read in Mark, but she found him out, and of course he led her, and she cried out for mercy, and she seemed to have knowledge of him as Messiah. She cries out, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed, implying please, please heal him, or please heal her. But Jesus remarkably answered her, not a word. That's uh, Matthew 15 and verse 23. And then his disciples came and urged him to send her away. And I believe that was, send her away. She's, she's a pain. She's nagging us. She's crying. She's continually crying after us. Uh, we have better things to do, and, and now we, we hope to have some rest. But Jesus... He answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what he's saying to this woman, at least in her presence. But she is not repulsed by this. She is persistent, and she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. She was doing this over and over again. And answered Jesus then at that time, verse 26 in Matthew 15, and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, this is amazing. Now Jesus goes counterculture, or he's with the culture at that time, but how he would not be received in our culture today if he said those kinds of things. First of all, he who has a reputation for showing mercy is now being discriminating, and he's being racist, and he's against this whole uh, people who are not the people of God, and he's, he's being... Uh, a male chauvinist and calling her a dog and then calling her as one who lives among the little dogs, he says. That's how the Jews described those who were the goyim, the heathen, the ungodly. Jesus is saying those things. And again, how politically incorrect this would be, how culturally wrong, according to the findings of people today who who asked for a kinder, gentler Savior than the one that the Bible depicts. But we know, of course, this was not Jesus being a misogynist, a hater of human beings or one class of human beings. He was not being a racist here, except in the fact that he's this one who, on the behalf of God, is a human racist. That is, he condemns all sinners as they are in themselves. But Jesus is being a Savior and a teacher, and so he's leading this woman, leading her to faith, and even to say this. She said, yes, Lord, let even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And in other words, she's not being offended and saying, oh, you chauvinist, you racist, how dare you? I'm going to sue you. No, she's admitting in all humility, yes, I'm a dog. 
I'm unworthy of your presence. I'm outside the kingdom of heaven. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a chosen one. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. How profound that statement. How real her request and how real her understanding that Jesus will have crumbs for those who don't go by the name of Jews. And Jesus answers her at that time and says, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. What a great thing. So the master shows he's the master here and that he has crumbs. He has something to give also to the Gentiles, a foretaste of what will be at Pentecost. He'll have salvation that will go to the whole world and all the promises will will be presented and received by God's people in every nation, tribe, and tongue. But now the passage we're up to after that long introduction is the beginning of the time when there will be far more than crumbs to the Gentiles. And we see this in the healing of many on the other side of Jordan, in this region of of, of no man's land, as it were, outside of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes there now. One has said even that at this time, this incident would have been revolutionary because it records Jesus ministering outside of the place where Messiah would minister and doing things that did not seem to fit with Messiah. He does it. And he shows us that he is indeed the Messiah of all the little dogs, and all the little ones that are his own in all the world, he's come to save sinners and not to call the righteous, but sinners to himself. So Jesus is revealed here in these miracles. And I want to entitle this sermon, The Master of All. That's really what I want to focus on here. He's been said to be the master of the crumbs for the Gentiles, and we want to expand that. He's the master of all. Of all what? We'll see. But if you recall in Mark, it says the people's reaction was that he does all things well. He does all things well. What I want to do, and I haven't done this before, is consider both, both texts here in Matthew and in Mark. And both texts have to do, I believe, with the same event. But Matthew has a lot of people coming and a lot of people being healed. And Mark, in Mark 7, has just one person being healed, a man deaf and a man who is mute, unable to talk. And so we see Jesus here, the master of all kinds of healing and of all ways of healing. And there's something so rich and comforting for us to take home here tonight of the way of Messiah with us. So the master of all, first of all, we want to see that Jesus is the, uh, the one of God. He's God's one, I put it that way. And then I want to say in the second point, he's no jack. He's no jack. Think about that. And then finally, that want to consider the, the after miracles, not just the miracles here recorded in Matthew 15 but, and Mark 7, but the miracles 
that are after that. So he's God's one. That's what he shows here in all this healing. Uh, He's God's Messiah. That's what he is. And he shows this by his healing. Just a bit about this healing. Let's go to the first event, the first healing in Mark chapter 7. Just go through that a bit. There's one brought to Jesus who was deaf, had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Well, I believe that this impediment was very severe so much that he not only couldn't talk plainly, but it was as if he was as good as a mute. He was not able to speak at all, that is, even clearly or intelligently. And Jesus heals him. And that's the brief view of that. But this could have been something he was born with, something that happened um, by an accident or something like that. But he's brought to Jesus, and Jesus takes this one aside from the multitude. There's a multitude. They, they bring this one person here, and they put his finger, he puts his fingers in his ears, verse 33. That's an unusual thing, isn't it? He, he puts his fingers in his ears, and he, and he spits and he, he touches his fingers and then puts them, those fingers with his spit on them, on the man's tongue. And then he looks up to heaven and he sighs, does Jesus. And the idea is that he groaned. There was pain in this. And he says the word Ephetha in the Aramaic, a dialect of Hebrew, be opened. And immediately his ears are opened. and The pediment of his tongue is loosed. Well, here is revelation, of course, that the woman was right who said, who alluded to the fact that Jesus is the master. The woman who is among these Gentiles uh, and whose daughter was healed of her demon. So Jesus is showing that he's the master here, and that Greek word is Lord, he's Lord. And he's showing this by doing things that could not be done by an ordinary physician. Here's the great physician. Here's the master or the Lord of all. And Jesus is showing just how great he is by really giving him the faculty of healing or of hearing this man that he didn't have. He creates this faculty of hearing, this ability to hear. This was not by some cochlear implant, but this is by his word and by the miracle that he works at this time. This is a miracle healing. Jesus, as well, gives him to speak plainly after he heals him. And so his tongue is loosed and he speaks plainly. He's understood. He didn't have to learn speech and go to speech therapists. Jesus heals him. He is doing all things well here, perfectly well, something we'll consider in our second point. But Jesus reveals here he's the Lord of this this kind of disease. He's over it, or this kind of impediment, this kind of infirmity. This Lord of the whole healing process. Doesn't need anybody else, even though he uses uses his fingers in touching and his spittle in touching the man and word Ephratha, commanding the man's tongue to be open. He uses those means. He didn't have to say anything, you realize, 
or do anything or touch at all, but for some reason, this Jesus is healing this way, showing he's the Lord of all and the Lord of these means. Now, go to the other passage in Matthew, and you find that Jesus is, in Matthew 15, 20, uh, 29, and 30, and so on, healing the multitudes of people who come with all kinds of problems. The lame are mentioned, the blind, the mute, those who can't speak, and the maimed, and many others. How significant is the phrase, and many others. And I believe it's significant because the language used there uh, describes for us and indicates, implies for us, that there were many other kinds of diseases that were uh, diseased people that were brought to be healed. It wasn't just all kinds of these four classes of diseases or infirmities, lameness, blindness, muteness, and being maimed, but there were many others. Uh, there were people not only, but kinds of infirmities and kinds of problems. Uh, who knows, maybe psychological problems, may, maybe those demon-possessed like the woman's daughter he just healed. Uh, maybe those who had other kinds of problems, maybe lepers and so on, and, and we've heard of Jesus healing them. But here, he said to have, they, they've, they, they brought them to Jesus, and he healed them. He healed them all. He healed them all. So that the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. Again, referring to the fact that this was the God of that nation across the river, on the other side of the tracks. This was that God of the people who had everything, even God, and we have nothing. And so they glorified the God of Israel, and I think they were liking the fact, don't you, that now he was showing that he can also be and is also the God of other people than those who have the genealogy of Abraham to boast about. Well, Jesus here is speaking or healing, and again, these are miracles. And I think we don't want lost upon us the fact that these were miracles because there's so many of them. Seeing one miracle, seeing them all. And, you know, it can happen. We can be sensationalistic so much and desensitized by all the, the, the things that we're sensing, just like when we're watching this or that on, on Netflix or whatever, and it could have been the same way with Jesus and his miracles. And people come as to a show, and then they want another one, and they want some greater one. But, but these were really miracles, of course. These were things that happened immediately and perfectly. And, and, and no doubt, um, somehow they were contemporaneously done as the miracle of that individual man whose, whose, whose healing was identified and and brought to our attention in a singular way in Mark. There were all kinds of things going on there, and one was a healing of this one man, and by this means of spittle and of, and of, and of prayer and so on, and then all these other miracles. I think, children, you have to realize that this is not your ordinary going to the doctor, you get some pills, and, or you get some surgery, and, and maybe things will get better. Uh, this was the Son of God here, creating out of nothing 
health when there was no health. They were lame. They might have been crippled, unable to walk, maybe again from their mother's womb. Maybe they fell out of a car or something like that. And they were maimed. That could be that they didn't even have their, their arms or their legs. They could have been coming to Jesus with one arm and one leg or just no legs, no arms. Jesus healed them. Now, what do you think that means? He gave them an arm or he gave them a leg. Amazing. Now, do you think he would have been amazed at that and glorified the God whom Jesus represented? Do you think? I hope so. And so the blind couldn't see, maybe for a long time, maybe born that way. And again, the the mute, the ones who couldn't talk, and many others, Jesus healed them all. He is this master of all, of all those things that need healing. And he's Messiah. That's the thing we want to start off with here saying. Miracles are are great. But the miracles are great, especially as signs of something. Signs, these physical healings of the salvation that Jesus gives, which is of the soul. The forgiveness of sins, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, reconciliation with God. Jesus would say in another place in warning people against covetousness, what what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? So I would ask you, what does it profit if Jesus does a miracle and restores your health and makes you the fastest man in the world? Well, beloved, if he restores your health and makes you the fastest man in the world, you're still in the world. You're still in your sins. And if he heals your pancreatitis, and if he heals your inflammation of this and that, and gives you knee surgery and a miraculous replacement of a knee, so what? If God hasn't touched what needs to be touched, the heart of a sinner, if he has not revived with his own resuscitation means the Holy Spirit, you're a dead man still for all the vitality you seem to have. Jesus shows he's Messiah this way because these miracles are signs of Messiah. In fact, many commentators point out the fact that this time the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled in chapter 35 which speaks of heaven. Actually, it speaks of the dawning of the kingdom, but finally it speaks of heaven. Look at that. Love the chapter. It's when the wilderness and the waste land themselves are glad for them, and the desert rejoices in the blossom, uh, and blossom as the rose, and so on. That time, verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dung sing, dumb sing. Those are miracles of the end of time, the coming in of the kingdom of heaven. Even a foretaste of heaven itself, because Isaiah goes on to say, speaking of the highway that shall be there and the righteous who, and redeemed who shall walk along it, that highway, Jesus, that the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness and 
Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's Revelation 22. That's heaven. So here Jesus comes, and there's miracles to be sure. But these are miracles which are signs of the fact that he is the Savior giver of sinners. He's the master of all. The Lord of all, not only, but the Savior, the Savior. Something the Gentiles needed to learn. And as that woman had learned, calling him the son of David, something we need to remember all the time. Salvation is not God giving us health and wealth and making us run the fastest and have the mostest. It's his touching our soul. So, the Spirit of the Lord God, Isaiah 61, is upon Jesus, he says, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor and sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty of the captains, the opening of the prison to those who are bound and, and, to, and to heal and so on. That's Jesus. Now, we don't, strikingly, in these miracles here, read of Jesus saying much about himself. In fact, Mostly what he says in Mark is, don't say anything. Shh. That's what he did, children. Like your parents, they say, you be quiet. Say, don't tell anybody. His time wasn't there yet. And they had wrong notions of Jesus, not only in Jewry, but also across the Jordan. Everybody had these carnal notions, these selfish desires. We like this. There's not going to be a hospital needed in the whole of, of Jewry, the whole of this Palestinian world. Jesus, let's milk this for all it's worth. He says, no, no, no. It's going to be a cross that I need to go to and die on. And the salvation that I'll accomplish through paying for sins. Paying for sins. Well, so... It's miracles here, but without the message of the Messiah. But remember when we started in Matthew, the first incidents of his, of his healing were accompanied by the preaching of the gospel. In Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So he's preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. And many brought their various diseases and they were afflicted and they were tormented and they brought demon-possessed people and epileptics and paralytics and he healed them and great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Just like here. So we need to remember that the people were pointed by these miraculous deeds of Jesus to Jesus himself, the Savior, not just the miracle worker, but the Savior, Lord of all, who's a Savior. We're, it's easy for us to understand that, because we have the rest of the New Testament. We have the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, the end of John, recording the demise of Jesus, his death on the cross for sin. We know the doctrines of it set forth in the New Testament, foreshadowed in the Old of atonement, of a covering for sin, 
We know something about Jesus. We know the central thing about Jesus. And these people are so in the dark. But Jesus, you see, is letting the crumbs fall from the table, as it were. Giving something. Holding off, teaching everything. They couldn't bear it. They have not the spirit yet. He's showing he's Messiah. So... They need to understand that this is the forgiver of sins, as Psalm 103 reminds the people in the Old Testament. Psalmist blesses the Lord in all of his soul and blesses his holy name, calls his soul to bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits, the chief of which is what? The healing of our tongues. Forgiveness, who forgives all your iniquities, and then who heals all your diseases, and so on. Here's Messiah. And he's no jack. That's what I want to talk about here. I'm referring to this phrase commonly used among us. Well, you say, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. Jesus is no jack ever. He's a king. Of all things, not just trades, but of all things. I'm picking up on the fact that he's known by one woman at least, and he's being known, becoming known by these people he's healing as the master and as Messiah, as Lord and Savior. They need to know that this one is God's king in the midst He's the king over all those impediments and those things that get in our way. He's the king over sin to trounce it and to take it on himself. And in the wonderful mercy that he possesses as Messiah to bear it and bear it all away. He's no jack, no human man jack. Certainly no charlatan, not like the healers that have arisen even in the Christian church who call themselves healers, modern-day apostles almost. You can't heal like Jesus. Jesus heals immediately and perfectly. Now, we don't know that he healed the souls of all these people. Sometimes he did. So that their glorying in God afterwards was a sign of salvation. But we do know this. He was signifying what his salvation does. It works in people, healing of the soul, and it leads to glory, glory, hallelujah. But the charlatans can't do that. The fakes and the people who, who say, I'm going to feed you and you're going to get rich if you just deposit some seed money. Um, yeah. As if the kingdom were of this world. He's the king of God. That is, he's the king from God. And the people were, were learning this. They were learning this. And they were learning that he is God in his power here, but God also in his mercy. And I believe that's one of the reasons why there's this detailed um, description of the one healing. There's many, but one is going to be healed. And Jesus shows there in a kind of vignette of the gospel, what he's about when he heals 
individually. You know, there's certainly gospel in this very fact. It's not like Jesus, in working miracles and saving souls, is a manufacturer and wants to get souls saved as fast as he can, and, and maybe there's some angels working on a production line, and they're, they're turning this event and that event on the behalf of God to the leading of the person to Christ and to the gospel or, or whatever, and so that it gets it done as efficiently as possible. And it's all rather impersonal, and it's all a business. Oh, Jesus takes one among the many and shows us just what he does for us all. Jesus is no jack, but the king of our salvation. He's the king in that he shows power and empathy and focus and gives attention to each of us in our need. Do you realize that, believe it, beloved? Do you realize that? This is for you. You're brought here, maybe by your parents, to the gospel preaching and to the healer Jesus who speaks through the mighty word. And it is done. Look what he did with this man. They brought him and he, he, he took him aside from the multitude. His time in this busyness for this one. And took him aside and he communicated to the man in the only way he could understand because, remember, he was, he was mute. He, he never spoke and he was deaf. And so there was no way of communicating, so he took his fingers, and this was sign language then, maybe. And he, he, inten- he told him what he intended to do by touching his ears, and then he was going to release his tongue with a spittle, whatever that meant, signified, but it was communicating to this man something of a connection that Jesus was making. Here is this one, so high, as we might say, of a mighty doctor who has an entourage of, of, of physicians all around him who are learning and sitting at his feet. Man, that guy is unapproachable. Jesus, the mighty king, the Lord of all, the master of all, is this master who's with us. And Jesus... He then looks up to heaven, showing the man, this is where the miracle's coming from, my Father in heaven. And he sighs. He sighs. I don't know. Maybe there's another place in the Bible that says Jesus sighed. I know there's one place he said he wept, right, children? He sighed. He's in pain. He groaned. Something of empathy here, something saying, I, I feel your pain. Something of the empathetic high priest in Hebrews 4, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You see, he's not aloof. He's not this one who comes and he has a program and he's, he's got an agenda and he's going to heal them all, go home, have supper and go to bed. He's right here in the nastiness, in the pain sighing and praying to God and then commanding the word, Ephratha, be open, just as he was the word God spoke in the beginning, let there be, and there was. So immediately his ears are opened, his impediment is loosed, he spoke plainly. 
so on. Now, beloved, this is the Savior we have. And I want to broaden that. He's not the jack of all trades and all things, but he's the king of all things, like all infirmities. All the kinds that aren't even mentioned, maybe some that you have and you're bringing the church here, bringing him with you. Some burden, maybe something really bad, like we would say is bad because, well, the doctors say it's bad, it's going to kill you. Or maybe it's this bad thing. It's bad sin. It's powerful, gripping, debilitating, maiming sort of circumstance. This barrier to your progress in anything Christian is temptation that's driving you crazy. You want not to do it, but you want to do it. Whatever it is. And you're brought to Jesus. And if you didn't think you were, you are now, beloved. You're here. And Jesus is here speaking. And he's Lord of all kinds of people. And all kinds of infirmities. And he doesn't have to go as doctors do. And some of us can attest to this. If he wants to be a stomach doctor, he doesn't have to go to stomach school or a brain doctor, go to brain school and learn how to heal brains. And hmm, knee doctor, go to knee school, whatever you, you know. You don't have to get educated about these things. And maybe in the end, he, he learned a little bit of them all and still doesn't know the half of it. He's the Lord of all. Coming into this thing called humanity... As God, the God of all, and the Savior of his own, all kinds across the river, over the river, and through the woods, in the land-mind-filled fields of this world, in the killing grounds, in the slums, in Grand Rapids, in Jerusalem, in Italy, in Holland, and wherever else there's sinners... He's the Lord of all that and all those and the Savior of every single one of his in all those places. And not one will not be healed as he commands them to be healed. Not one. Not one will, sin will be unforgiven. Why? Because he's going to the death of the cross to confirm the word of God that he is. See, in all eternity, God has said in his decree, Father and the Son and the Spirit, I love a people. There's going to be a people I love. I choose them. I choose them in love before the foundation of the world. And son, you're going to be the lamb of God that's slain before the foundation of the world. You're the son of the decree. You're the son of the counsel of the peace of God. There's going to be healing on earth, but especially the healing of sinners. So there's reconciliation of God with the people and the people with God. 
And these miracles once again show that it's not only not impossible, but it is indeed possible with God, these impossible things. And if you don't have the right pedigree, and if you're called dogs and maybe hogs by those who are the right pedigree, makes no difference to Jesus. In fact, he's such the Lord of all that there's only a time when he gives crumbs, you know. Just about now, in this time in the New Testament. After the crumbs, and he dies and he rises from the dead and he pours out the Spirit. And salvation now goes to all the world. No more crumbs for anybody. Meat and drink and sitting at the master's table. All God's people enjoy the banquet of fellowship with God. So no jack, Jesus, master, Lord of all. Your Lord, my Lord, your Savior, mine. And finally, there are the after miracles. And what I mean by that is these people, they are responding to Jesus' healing are themselves a miracle in what they say. Uh, Jesus heals and then the people glorify the God of Israel, Matthew, Mark, then they say he's done all things well. They, they are overwhelmed, touched, be astonished beyond measure. Verse 37, Mark 7. And he's done all things well, they say. They make this amazing confession. That's a kind of a miracle, beloved, because I believe in that what they're doing here is they're speaking the praise of, uh, to Jesus that, that really belongs to God. Jesus is pointing these people to God the Father, and he's saying, now don't, don't just you know, talk about me because you might make an idol of me or you might have a carnal kingdom in mind, but he's pointing them to the Father. And here they themselves are seeing something of the Father, even God in Jesus, when they say he does all things well, as if they're back at the creation. Remember that? Genesis 1, 31. God looked at all things that he had done very well, and he said, it is good. And now these people are joining in peons of praise to this, this Savior, this Lord who's doing all things well, as at the beginning. There's something of creation going on here. And recreation, even a mightier work than God did in the beginning. This is the beginning of something. They don't know what it is. And if they'd only realize what all the prophets were speaking about, it is the beginning, yes, of heaven itself. As Isaiah prophesied, and as Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is come. So they're speaking his praise. But beloved, most of those speaking the praise of God and glorifying God weren't healed. They weren't themselves healed. And perhaps among them all, they didn't have the miracle of the new birth. 
prompting this praise. They were just looking at Messiah outwardly and saying, hey, this is, this is good stuff. Everybody likes somebody who heals them and their loved ones. But the real miracles will wait until Messiah comes and works his salvation work and speaks his word, his gospel word, to the salvation of the souls of people who themselves will be healed of their sins and iniquities. And that, beloved, is what I want you to be left with today. We want to say the same thing, don't we? When we behold in the scripture all these miracles and the Savior being the Savior, we want to say, go, go, go. We're so happy that Jesus is being glorified here. Beloved, it really cannot be that you really understand this, or I do, unless you and I know we are healed. We are healed of the greatest infirmity of sin and iniquity and the bondage of sin and guilt. Do you know that? Do you know that? Children, do you know that healing? And if you might be hiding sins right now, you you know you can hide that, but you can hide behind Jesus. And his blood covers every sin. Well, knowing that, then we know this personal touch that Jesus has taken of us. He's touched our souls. He comes to us in the night. He comes to us when we're on our beds and we, we cannot seem to figure life out. And he says, I love you. I love you. And I want you to be happy with me. That's what he says. And he comes as this wonderful God of mercy and kindness. We sang of those, the mercy of God. We still do. God put in our hearts the healing and the knowledge of the healing. We all need, because the greatest thing happens then. We ourselves become his witnesses. Now, these people here, Mark says, they were told, now you you be quiet. Tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. What do you think of that? I think we've dealt with that before. Jesus for one reason or another, he doesn't want to go to the cross too soon. If the people want to make him a king, they're going to make him a carnal king. But sometimes I'm tempted to think, and then my wife or my family has to correct me. Maybe you will. And maybe this is the one instance where to not obey Jesus was okay. He said, don't tell, and he knew they were going to tell. And they went on, and they couldn't hold it in. Oh, beloved... I'll leave that for others to talk about. But certainly, he doesn't tell us to be quiet anymore, does he? He's worked in us. He says, go tell it on the mountains, over the hills, and everywhere. Jesus Christ is born. Go tell it on the mountains to sinners everywhere. There is one, this son, who's risen with healing in his wings. And underneath are the everlasting arms of God. Tell this broken world, this sin-sick world, this sin-sick church world, the Savior is calling. And 
He's working in the hearts of his own to come to him and to praise him as they rise up and are healed of every sin and iniquity. Maybe not healed of all these infirmities that plague us, all of our speech problems, whatever we have, but healed of sin, given grace, and given the word of God to carry on. That's the promise of Jesus, the master of all. Amen. Our Father, we pray that you would bless us and Make your face to shine upon us. Give us peace and joy and give us, Lord, to bask in the wonderful sun light of your son. And we pray that as children of the light, we may shine the light. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Lord, hear our prayers that we may rise up and show that we are your people, the people of rest. As we rehearse to one another the things that we've just heard. The many things that you are doing in our lives to cause healing and, and to cause that there be sanctification where there was a regress and a backsliding. Lord, we pray, restore your people with joy when they're sorrowing. Give, Father, righteousness when there was unrighteousness and, and give us communion where there was a, a gap between us and maybe our mate or maybe our children, maybe our brothers and sisters and, and even you. Reconcile us to you as only you can and may we go home and with joy in our mouth and, and power of piety to serve you all the week. For Christ's sake, amen.